Hello, one and all. Welcome to the A to the K Wrestling Show, where joining us today is acclaimed writer, director, and producer of titles such as Coming to America, The Nutty Professor, and of course, the greatest wrestling documentary of all time, Beyond the Mats, the one and only Barry Blaustein. Barry, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for those kind words. Uh, awesome. So um, I figured we'd, uh, we'd start off if we could. Uh, obviously, the majority of our interview, given that we are a wrestling-based show, will be um, us focusing on, on Beyond the Mat. But uh, I'd like to start, if we could, by asking sort of how you got into, into the world of writing or, and is it something you always wanted to do? No, it's nothing. I, I still don't want to do it. Uh, <laughs> it's painful to write. Um, I wanted to be something in show business. And they said, can you write? And I said, sure, I can write. And because uh, I, I, I learned very quickly, never say no to anything. Uh, and uh, yeah. bar is not that high in Hollywood. And I had, I had enough ability. And I just, to, I figured if they, some people, these people are succeeding, so can I. Oh, awesome. awesome. Um, obviously, you got your start kind of writing for the Michael Douglas show and obviously Saturday Night Live. What was it like writing in such a kind of what I imagine is a fast paced environment, especially for live audiences and things like that? Well, it was such such two different shows. The Mike Douglas show was an afternoon talk show that had been on since I was born, practically. I remember watching with my grandmother after school. And so that dealt with an older audience, but it, it, it was it was good practice for me because everybody did that show. So I, I was not intimidated working around actors. Um, and then Saturday Night Live was a totally different experience. It was, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, creatively, and uh, it's just the pressure every week when you've got to come up with something, you got to reinvent the wheel every single week. Yeah, I can imagine. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you've worked uh, a great deal with um, with Eddie Murphy throughout his career. Um, right. So I just wondered at sort of how you first started to sort of collaborate and and what it was like working with Eddie. Well, I was uh, I was pro- I, I did all my work with Eddie mostly with my partner David Sheffield and mm-hmm. and another guy named Bob Tischler who was a producer on the show. Um, what happened is. Are you, are you familiar with the show about you had featured cast members and cast members? There, there are, there, there's the cast members right. and then the mm-hmm. featured cast members, which are, yeah. um, which are like the rookies on the bench that never get into the game. Right. Yeah. And Eddie was one of those and the cast wasn't setting the world on fire. And uh, we thought, why not try writing for this guy? And the minute, the minute he stepped on camera, it was like, whoa, he's got, you know, he's got, in the world of Paul Heyman, it's, he's got it. And, yeah. and it was like, we, we started writing exclusively for him because mm-hmm. his stuff, he made your stuff better. He really yeah. elevated his stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's been phenomenal talent. 40 years that I, I've been writing for him. Wow, that's it's a, a, it's crazy to consider that. And that, I'm 52. That the that's the amazing thing. <laughs> <laughs> Super early start in the business. I love it. 
Yeah, it's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal actor. You could see, um, obviously, it's crazy that he was uh, only one of the, you know, um, like not not an actual cast member. He was only one of the, the featured performers at the time. That's, that's crazy to think. Um, but as, as we kind of said, um, with us being a wrestling show, um, obviously, Beyond the Mat is going to be the predominant focus of this. And um, at the start of the documentary, um, the first words that you kind of utter is, um, I don't know why I like it. I just always have. And so, obviously, what what's your first memory of, of, of pro wrestling? Well, actually going to, I, I remember watching it on TV, but I don't remember anything. There was a, a wrestler named Skull Murphy. I think he was from Britain, actually. Mm. And um, he had a partner named Brute Bernard, and he was a bald guy, mean-looking guy, and he scared the hell out of me when I was like five years old. Um, but I remember begging my dad to take me to a wrestling match. And my mother being very against it. She hated the fact that I had all these wrestling magazines with people with blood all over their face. And, yeah. um, and my dad took me to a match. And it was very much like in the beginning of the movie. I, I, the wrestler looked gigantic. And then I saw him go into a car with a, to, where his wife was waiting for him. And I'm going, these are real people. Because I was, I was, I was eight, so yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not this age going. These are real people. <laughs> you mean he's not Roman Reigns all the time? <laughs> so, um, obviously, you, you you have been a huge wrestling fan. Is it, is it something you still watch today? Do you watch the current product? I still watch it. I, I'm. Uh, embarrassed and proud at the equal measures to say I still watch it. Uh, some weeks I just tape it and watch, I'll fast forward through it and all that stuff. And, yeah. and, I, and I, think it's, I think it's better than it's ever been. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of, if you, if you like to read on the internet, there's so many people who like to complain about certain things, but uh, it is, um, it, it's, I would dare say it's a, a very different product to what it was, but like you say, it's, it is phenomenal now. Right. I think that yeah. the wrestlers are more athletic. The storytelling's better. Um, it's, yeah, it's just more enjoyable. Yeah. It's less cringeworthy. <laughs> you know, I used to say it was like when people would come in the room and I'd be watching wrestling, I'd quickly change it. It was like I was watching porno or something. <laughs> and then whenever I just see, I like this. Um, <laughs> But I watch much more wrestling than porn. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, uh, I, I still watch it. I still watch it. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's, that's so cool to know. Um, like the fact that you haven't, because I think a lot of people, especially, you know, it became a massive sensation in like the, you know, late nineties and everybody was watching it. And then it kind of goes through peaks and troughs of people kind of falling out of, of love with it and kind of maybe getting back into it or kind of outgrowing it and stuff. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's better because of it's so it's less kind of cringe and it's less kind of silly, I suppose, than it was at times. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was doing the movie, and uh, it, when I started the movie, the WWE wasn't WWF. Yeah. Uh, wasn't wasn't doing that well. No. And, and wrestling goes through trends where it's very popular, and there are times when it's not popular. 
And I got permission from Vince to film, and which I'm very appreciative of. And then while I was filming, wrestling started taking off. Mm-hmm. And he, there were various people in his company who didn't want me to film there anymore. Yeah. Because they say, well, we're taking off and we're no needed anymore. And, and I said, the difference, I would tell Vince, the difference between me and the other people that are now doing, that are after you is they'll desert you the minute you're not popular anymore. Mm, yeah. I'll still be watching. Yeah, yeah. And that that was always a very effective, I'd say strategy, but it was it was meant sincerely. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. That's absolutely fascinating. I think, um, I mean, I'll, I'll just get my kind of fanboying out of the way. Like, I absolutely love Beyond the Mat. I remember back in 1999 going to the local supermarket and like rushing over to try and get the VHS and pestering my dad to, to let me have it and stuff like that and taking it home. And just, I love everything about the documentary. It is legitimately the best like wrestling documentary I've ever seen. And the thing that I was fascinated about the most is that you approached it with a, you know, across the whole board so we had people like um, Tony Jones and Mike Modest who were just starting out in the business you had um, you know Terry Funk and and Jake who were coming to the end and then obviously you had the likes of WWF and ECW how did you decide to approach it in such a way like was that always the plan to do the whole spectrum of wrestling well originally when I sold it it was going to be follow young guys making it trying to Mm -hmm. make it but what I quickly realized is the young guys weren't as interesting because they didn't have the experience in the stories. Yeah. So um, I'd always been a big fan of Terry Funk and Jake and Jake Roberts, mm-hmm. and uh, I always enjoyed their work. And I met Terry Funk when I was on the Mike Douglas show. So uh, I approached him, and and then I was fascinated with Mick Foley. Mick Foley, I think, is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. And uh, he was then, when I met him, he was at ECW. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he went then he went to WWF and WWE slash E. And um, I, I couldn't, I didn't have an agreement with them to film him. I didn't have an agreement with WWE with Vince at that time. So uh, I, I couldn't use him in the documentary. And then, I, then a year later, I got the agreement with Vince. And I called Mick up. I said, you're, you're back in the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. I remember meeting with Vince at his home in Connecticut. Yeah. And he was very interested in knowing what I thought of the wrestlers. And he had a whole roster, and he wanted me to tell exactly who I, who I thought was going to make it, who I like, who didn't, thought I had potential in that. And you know, he was, it was they're about to relaunch the Rock again, which he said, you know, he admitted they made a mistake; they just pushed him down people's throats. And I said, well, he'll, he'll he's going to be a big name. I mean, duh, now it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really saw that. Uh, and but I, I mentioned Mick Foley, and he goes, really? Mick Foley? And I go, he's a great talker, and he represents the fan. He's every kid who wanted to be a wrestler. Mm. Yeah, definitely. 
So um, obviously you've mentioned there with, with um, sort of speaking to Vince, and one of the things that we had certainly in, in this country um, in the market and in the in the box art of of the film was um, that it was it was labelled as the, the documentary that Vince McMahon doesn't want you to see. Yeah. Now I'm aware that's probably on some level a bit of marketing there, but it, I mean, is that something that that happened? Is did was Vince sort of quite against it when the finished product was there, or Vince was upset because he didn't own a piece of the film and right. he didn't own Universal making money off the characters he helped create. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. The advertising of it, this is the movie Vince McMahon doesn't want you to see, was not something I really wanted. And I actually asked them to try to change it, but they were, that's the way they wanted to market it. Because yeah. the film was more than that. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was, um, what was the film that Vince wanted to own? <laughs> that's, that's definitely the truer quote <laughs> and I remember um, coming to England to promote the film oh nice what, what, what did you make your time across the pond yes and I was I was on the morning show the, the, the big morning show and then I was in a horrible talk show on, on the radio <laughs> a guy who was he, he was mostly interviewing Terry and it was obvious he hadn't seen the film, but he was like one of these guys who badmouths everything. Right. I don't know the name. And uh, but besides that, it was it was great. He, he was so terrible, it was great. And <laughs> I enjoyed him too. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Love it. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we're on the uh, yeah <laughs> we're not on the lower end of that spectrum for you uh, talk talk shows that you, you guys are enjoyable to talk. <laughs> Um, so obviously being backstage in WWE, you, you kind of had like a, almost like an all access thing or so it seemed in the documentary where you could go backstage and see everything. What was that experience like of being in, you know, Titan Tower and having full on access to Vince and, and the wrestlers? Well, it was, you know, I told all the wrestlers that if you don't want to be in it, mm -hmm. I won't, I won't put you on camera. Yeah. And there were a group of wrestlers who didn't want to in it for, for you know the undertaker was 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 said i've made a lot of money being this guy i don't want to blow with my image yeah. uh, by talking and he was he was actually very polite and very much like him whenever i was shooting it was am i in the camera can do you want me to move and, and all that uh so there were there was always a locker room that I always it was full of guys that were all cool with me. Yeah. And then there was a locker room there that I didn't go into. But I, you know, I had a, I had enough access. I also spent about two years, not every day, but like once a month, once every six weeks, going on the road with them because without cameras, because I was casting it. Yeah. And I only had so much footage, and uh, it was trying to find out who was who would be interesting, who wouldn't be interesting, and uh, and I forgot the point I was going to make. I've been hitting the head too many times, <laughs> uh, too many chair shots. Um, 
Well, you can figure out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I was just having a senior moment there. Um, but it, it was, it was, oh, 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 I know. I was about two years without cameras. And, and mm. the, um, the reason why was for casting. And they were always wondering. And it was also to make them feel comfortable around me. Yeah. So when I showed up with cameras, it was like, oh, here he is again. Oh, the son of his cameras. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't just shoving, meaning people saying, hi, how are you? I'm trying to put you on camera right now. Yeah. yeah. So I think it, up those relationships. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, it truly pays off because you can really see the, the sort of the care that you've put into it. You can really see how, how sort of well the documentary comes across because of it. Uh, one of the things I mentioned was... Um, how sort of Vince McMahon comes across in that like a lot of people uh especially in recent years have had a lot of opinion about the man but like something that I thought would come across really well uh in, in your documentary was sort of how much love he had for the business so I think um like you say it it, it was definitely it's worth building those relationships you know you know there was a moment in Sacramento when I was filming in California where he had just, it was a Monday Night Raw, and he just, Steve Austin had just beaten the crap out of him. And they're putting down, they're taking apart the ring, and Vince is drinking a beer, and he goes, God, I love this business. <laughs> and he had pure joy in his face, and I said, I want to capture that. We've got to, in the course of this film, capture how much you enjoy this. Yeah. I think you truly do, to be fair. It's, uh, it's one of the, one of the, most notable things for me about Vince was that the, the sheer joy that he, he had for the product. And, you know, for a man who'd been in the business for that long, it's, it's brilliant to see. Oh yeah. He loved it. He yeah. loved it. I remember uh, in the beginning negotiating with WCW and, uh, and they were starting to do real well and they were, they were envisioning putting Vince out of business. Mm. And, and, and I went, you'll never put him out of business. You can't. He's like, He's like a horror. I, I don't want to compare it to a monster because I don't think it's a monster. Uh, but in, in a horror movie that keeps coming back, you can knock him down, knock him down. He'll come back. Yeah. And then, uh, well, like it certainly showed his, um, he came out on top at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously you also spent time when, in ECW with, with Paul Heyman. Um, right. And obviously, it's a, it was a very different product at the time. But I just wondered, sort of, how you found your experience with with ECW and and sort of, I suppose, the the smaller, more tight knit um, locker room that they had compared to to the WWE in your experience there. Yeah, ECW was very interesting. Uh, Terry Funk talked me into going. He says, "You got, you got to." I'll do a terrible Terry Funk impression. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta go, Ben. You gotta see these guys in Philadelphia. They're incredible. They do amazing stuff. Where do you see it? It'll blow your mind. And uh, I went there, and the the crowd was great. There was an energy there, mm. and the it was the violence was so extreme. It may I know it would be interesting on film. Yeah. Uh, and the locker room was, except for two or three guys, very welcoming. Yeah. 
Impressive. It seems because um, it was such a, such a smaller operation. I imagine it was much more intimate in that sense. Really, that it's more of a family yeah. feel. Maybe. But it's hard. I was going to title the film "Trying to Get Trying to Find Paul Polly," because Paul Heyman is the hardest person to pin down. <laughs> and uh, thank God for Tommy Dreamer because he was he helped me get he helped uh, wrestle. Uh, Paul in sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Paul is an interesting guy. He's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. I, I often said to him, you could rule small countries. Why are you doing this? Oh, we've always said he's a, he's a fantastic talker, so I can, I can, yeah, I could well believe that, to be fair. Yeah. His mind, his mind, he's definitely got the mind for it, hasn't he? You can just see just like how even, it's, it's, it's so funny because as Anthony said, you could see like, it was so jarring almost to see Vince, who's like the, the big kind of, you know, um, owner to see him like doing struts with Dude Love and stuff like that. But then you, you see a side of Paul that we kind of still see today on, on his promos where he's just, you can tell that he's just got that, that creative, he's just such a creative guy. So yeah, yeah it's fascinating. I, you know, I don't know because I haven't seen the movie in a while. If this made the final cut or not, but there was a question I asked Paul, and I go, What's the best thing about being Paul Heyman? What's the worst thing? And he says, The best thing is I'm living out my dreams. I have my own wrestling company, it's all, all I ever dreamed about. And I said, What's the worst part? And he goes, Well, I'm 35 and I live with my parents. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, you know, he literally put everything into it, didn't he, to, to follow that really dream. Good. So you've definitely got to, you've got to respect that. I think, um, obviously, in the documentary, we, um, we we got to see Dross or Puke, as he was, uh, you know, going to be called at the time. Um, was it true that um, you were also considering maybe Edge uh, at that time? That to, is to true. Yeah, that is true. I I went to the WWE and they said, who are, uh, who do you think are up and coming stars that you're going to be pushing? And they said draws this guy that pukes and, um, <laughs> and edge. But when I spoke to Edge, he seemed very hesitant to do it. Mm. Right. And um, I wish he had done it. But uh, at, at that time, he was, I think he didn't want to, uh, he was afraid of maybe turning people off in backstage. Right. Yeah, I got you. Interesting. But it so, was uh, it's the first time anyone's ever asked me that. <laughs> Carl doing his research there. Love it. Oh, I, I, I didn't lie. I, I love the movie. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with this since 1999. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, you've mentioned a few times now um, about um, about Terry Funk, who um, obviously you were a, a big fan of, but you seem to be sort of, um, I've built quite a good relationship with in doing this documentary. So I just wanted to ask sort of, what that experience was like and sort of like how surreal it was to sort of to sort of meet him and work with him and, and sort of how you found that relationship with with terry yeah and the question is how did i find the relationship yeah because obviously because it's someone that you were a big fan of anyway so it must have been quite surreal so yeah just sort of how you how you how that experience what like did he live up to the person you thought he was or oh yeah in a lot of ways? yeah terry's a great guy yeah and I remember long talks we'd have about non-wrestling things. Yeah. Like marriage and raising kids and and stuff like that. I mean, I, the, the bulk of our conversations were not about wrestling off no. camera. Yeah. No. 
that's awesome to know that like obviously it's like you get to know him as a, as a person as well it's fantastic yeah yeah he was he was really interesting Terry. yeah yeah, yeah tremendous respect for him as a person yeah 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 he's done so much for the business hasn't he over many years it's, um but then to also as you say just um be such a stand-up guy as well um you know takes a lot i think um one of the more expected things to come out of the documentary um was obviously dennis stamp where obviously he almost became <laughs> almost like a meme in himself of like but i'm not booked and like jumping on the trampoline and stuff and um, did you get a chance to speak to kind of dennis once the movie came out did he ever kind of get in touch with you to say like holy hell like <laughs> my name's blown up um no i heard from terry who <laughs> At first, he said Dennis didn't didn't like the movie, but then everyone liked Dennis in the movie, and then he was proud to be in the movie, and then he thought mm. it was great to be in the movie. That's awesome, because obviously, as as Carl says, it's sort of um, it's built that that level of fame for him, didn't it? Um, so that's, that's fantastic to know. Um, obviously, one of the other um, well, one of the key stories, I suppose, explored in the documentary was um, was Jake the Snake. Um, and obviously, thank, thankfully, we we sort of now see where he is with uh, with his help getting help from DDP and right. um, and and how well he's doing now. But uh, I just wonder sort of what it was like to, to sort of be around him sort of during filming and during that sort of that particularly hard time in his life. Really, it was ten days I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> we drove uh, from uh, Eastern. Nebraska. I don't know if you got you guys know geography of the United States, but uh, Nebraska. Uh, from the western part all nice. the way to Texas and along the way he did two shows and we went to see his daughter which was very uh, emotional I can imagine yeah yeah it was uh, he would tell stories and stories and stories and stories and he and it got and they were all tragic mm -hmm. and I remember it was the 10th day, you would be like, I had a cousin here who got electrocuted in the swimming pool, died electrocuted in the swimming pool. And I finally couldn't, I, after 10 days of listening to stories like this, I said, Terry, my mom grew up in the Holocaust in Germany, and she has better stories of her youth than you <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he, 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 was, he was a very interesting guy. Yeah. No, he certainly certainly went through a lot, as you say. Yeah, it's oh. crazy. People always talk about his demons with like, you know, like substance abuse and stuff, but his his, his whole life and childhood was just it was yeah, such a it, tough but fascinating watch. Like yeah. His mother is actually in the film. Uh, she wouldn't be on camera. Right. And, you know, her backs it's, it's, it's a cutaway and we're not lunching it and she's behind the counter. But meeting his father was, it was exactly how it would happen is in the movie. They just, the father just went to break rocks. I don't know what for. Yeah. And, and they're just sitting down there and they, and they didn't talk to one another. And they're, no, it's almost like you saw him as an extra kind of laborers <laughs> instead of yeah. obviously his son to, to talk to. It was, it was heartbreaking. I think, um, well, obviously, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing with his father, but then also, obviously, as you said, his daughter was, was super emotional as well. I think... Um, I was very glad to see in the, in the, 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 the later on documentaries on Jake that his daughter and him 
have uh, come a little closer because she was she was very hurt. Yeah, yeah, you can see. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's a shame he's had to go through all that, but it's at the same time to to see where he is now. It's mm -hmm. you know it's a it's a blessing that he's obviously still here and he's he's mended a lot of them them bridges. But during the mm -hmm. documentary that that relationship with his daughter. You know, do you think it drew a lot of similarities with Mickey Rourke's character in The Wrestler? Is that something that you know anyone's ever mentioned to you before? Well, I think Mickey Rourke is a character in there. We came first, um, <laughs> and so uh, it was. It was very interesting. I, I liked the I liked the wrestler a lot. I thought it was very good. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, when uh, Dan Aronofsky, they asked him about the comparisons between that and Beyond the Mat. He said he never saw Beyond the Mac. And I, on four separate occasions, his office called me if I can give him Jake's phone number. So I'm going, I don't know that he didn't see Beyond the Mac. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're doing a story about a wrestler, his relationship with his kids, a part of it. And so I, I thought it was very good. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, certainly one of the things that struck us about that film, like you say, is like, I, I, I'm very surprised that he says he hasn't seen it because um, you can see that he, he potentially sort of took a lot from that relationship uh, as yeah. inspiration. Yeah. If, if nothing There's else, some camera shots that are exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, we've mentioned Mick Foley a couple of times uh, throughout. Uh, obviously, featured in the documentary as well, and you've mentioned that. Um, that you sort of you and him had the most in common, I suppose. Um, is he someone that you still keep in touch with today? Yeah, I just yeah. saw Mick about two months ago. He was in Southern California. He does stand up comedy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it's it's all about. I remember when he told me he wanted to do stand up comedy, and he said, "But I'm not going to do anything about wrestling." And then he realized. All people cared about was when he talked about wrestling. <laughs> yeah, way too iconic. <laughs> so, um, and it's a very funny show, and I've seen uh, he's done about like every comedian every year, every year or two he comes out with a totally new show, totally new material. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. He definitely likes his extracurricular activities. Best-selling author, he was Santa Claus for a bit, and now he's doing stand-up. He's a busy man. <laughs> Um, what was it like? Obviously, we saw you know the heartbreaking scenes with uh, with little Noel and, and Dewey after um, you know the I Quit match with the Rock and things like that. And you got to see Mick watching that back. Was that you know no, how? Yeah. Well, you know what, what was that like to see Mick kind of react that way and, and to have that realization? Well, I edited the film. I with an editor, Jeff Warner, did a great job editing it. And I didn't want to end with the match in in uh, the Royal Rumble match. I didn't want that to be the last image because I've been around Mick a, long, a lot, and Mick's an excellent father. He's an excellent father, but he made a mistake having his kids be that close and watching it. Yeah, but he's an. Even the most excellent fathers to make mistakes. So I wanted Mick, because Mick would go, I'd say Mick, Mick said, how's it look? I go, it doesn't look good at the end. He, he, he was, and he said, could I see him? You feel me seeing it? I go, yeah, that's what I want to do. 
So I went down and showed it to them. And uh, we had, I, I had a PA take the kids out for ice, his kids out for ice cream and stuff like that. And uh, he was, what you see in the film was his reaction. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, you know what, I, I, I like the way you sort of put that about being an excellent father, because I do think, like, and again, something that me and Carl talked about before, that it's a very human moment. Like I, I, like I never look at it like he, he was a bad father by any means. It's, it's a very human moment. Like you say, it's it, it, a mistake in, in a lot of ways, like you say. Um, and obviously being a father myself, I, like I almost felt the, the same way, if you know what I mean? Like like as almost as, as upset as he was because you, you're sort of related to, to your own kids and think, oh God, I'd, I'd hate to be in that situation. And um, I, th- I think it, it, it not that it comes across well in it, but it, it to me, it's just a very, it humanizes him a lot in that documentary, you know? Yeah, it was a tough scene to edit because uh, his son also lost it, not mm. just his daughter. And it, it just became, I, I didn't want it to be exploitive. Yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. And uh, it was tough scene. Uh, Tough to know where the line was, where uh, it was becoming exploitive. Yeah. And I was constantly cutting back. And it's, and now as children are adults, when I meet them, I'm always like, I'm the man who made you, (laughs) showed you cry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and now his kids are like 27 years old or something. (laughs) 28 years old. Yeah. And clearly very well adjusted adults as well, so it didn't it didn't harm them that much. It seems. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. So, um, I mean, the, my next question may be um, a hard one to answer because obviously it's, it's it's your documentary and, and it, you know it's it, it's sort of your your baby, if you will. Um, but do you have any sort of particular favorite or or even least favorite memories from from the making of the documentary? It's, the, it's my favorite project I've ever done. Yeah. And I just remember, I mean, laughing all the time after at the end of the days and being exhausted, but because I couldn't believe I was, I would, I'm making this movie. Yeah. I couldn't believe as a wrestling fan, I got a chance to live my childhood dreams and not be a wrestler, but be involved with a wrestler. Yeah. And, uh, there were no low moments. There were low moments with getting getting Vince to sign the, the release thing. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That just took a long time. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't any low moment involved with that. It was just, I would meet with him every four months and he would go, now what's this documentary about? And I was like, <laughs> it's the same documentary I talked about four months ago. <laughs> it hasn't changed. Um, <laughs> No, it was it was it was the most satisfying experience. Even in, in the release, when mm. it was he he, I, I everything that happened between me and Vince, the disagreements and him trying to him he, he offered to buy the film out from Universal, and then he would probably buried it. Um, even the back and forth between us. I felt like I was in a wrestling feud, but it, it, and it was totally <laughs> real. 
but I felt like I was, I was, I, it was just like I'd seen this play out on TV so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I was now part of it. It was, it was, it was wild, still blows my mind. Just trying to remind yourself not to hit him with a few stunners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you can absolutely see it was a, you know, an absolute passion project and it came through and obviously how, you know, crisp and what a fantastic film it is. Do you think, have you ever thought about making a sequel? Do you think it would work today? I think it would work today. I, I, I avoided making a sequel because I liked the first film a lot and I, I didn't think a sequel could live up to it. Mm. And, I, and I thought wrestling fans are ripped off all the time mm. and I don't want to be someone else to rip them off. Uh, now that I'm now that I'm so removed from it, there's a film. Uh, I, I, I I would maybe do a film which would portray the artistic side of wrestling because mm -hmm. I think yeah, yeah there's there's a very much especially today with the performers. I mean, they're such tremendous artists and so yeah. so many good storytellers and. Yeah, it's like the, the first one kind of explored the, the people behind the craft, but the second one could be just exploring the craft and the what craft, it takes to do yeah. that. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So um, while we're, we're talking about um, sequels, just a quick mention to, um, obviously we quite recently had the, the sequel to Coming to America, which came out last year. Yeah. Um, so what was it like to sort of to revisit that, that sort of side of your writing? Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun, you know, the first thing David Sheffield, my partner and I, wrote was the, the barbershop scenes again. Yeah. And it was like the scene, and, and we, we were amazing, we just picked it up and it was just like, we were for about an hour and a half, this is those guys. So it was like, it was, it was fun. Yeah, you could uh, you could see it, you know you could just tell the magic of the original what was still there in the sequel as well. Um, are you are you working on anything else at the moment? Any other projects that? Um, no, I'm, I'm a professor. I I'm a professor now. Okay. <laughs> I teach writing at uh, Chapman University. Oh wow. In, in Orange, California, and uh, which I find very fulfilling. And I've, I'm slowed down also because I have Parkinson's. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's about eight years ago. So yeah. going out on the road and making a film like Beyond the Man would tire me out too much. I'm not as young as I used to be. Learning. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in because the, the best, there's no cure for Parkinson's, but the best thing is exercise. Right. Yeah. And so I, I keep saying I would never do anything on wrestling again, but I, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> I just don't go through the hassle of raising money again. Hmm. So, no, that's a truly like the wrestling business, isn't it? You can never say never. <laughs> never say no. Never say no. And you know all this, all this stuff that they were worried I was going to reveal too much, and and I, I was careful. I told them I wasn't going to reveal. I was going to, and now I see what documentaries they do, and they reveal everything. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, like I think they're a lot less sort of worried about that now. There was a time when it was a very protected thing, you know. You right. can't sort of um, you can't lift the veil too much, and I think uh, 
that that seems to have in the, certainly in recent years they don't seem to be as worried about uh, people being aware that it's you know it's it, it, it's an act in a way what's what's the british wrestling scene like it's good it's, you know it, it's yeah. growing um like obviously it's not as big as it was back in the day when you had like big daddy and giant haystacks and stuff but we've got a couple of like three or four promotions that are really starting to, to bring it back and obviously we had nxt uk for a little bit um that's just being kind of um park now while they do nxt europe but it's um yeah i think it's making a bit of a resurgence to be fair yeah, I think it wrestles all around us, but uh, yeah, it's 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 got quite a quite a respectable indie scene. I mean, obviously, there's nothing sort of comparable to the the size of, of the likes of WWE or even AEW, but uh, there's um yeah, there's, there's plenty of good indie options there, really. What do you guys think of AEW? Um, <laughs> it's it's a fascinating one. I think um I think when it first started, I was really really into it because I think it had a really good blend, and I think maybe they've gone a bit too sports heavy with it because I'm, I'm fascinated with the story and the, the characters and, and the journey that the wrestlers take to get to the pay-per-view, for example. Don't get me wrong, they put on fantastic matches, but I wish they just had a little bit more story at times. Yeah. yeah. I, I I like it, but I, there, there are too many belts. Mm. I mean, everybody has a championship belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Mid-Atlantic States belt? What is, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're not, you're not right. The work rate is great, but yeah. I, I wish... And it's, it's hard and, as well because there's so much wrestling out there and it's like they bring in fantastic talent from the likes of Ring of Honor and other companies and stuff, but because you can't watch everything, you kind of get introduced to these people every week and it's hard to to kind of, um, you know... Keep and then people well. disappear for, for weeks. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, one of the one of the recent sort of uh, issues, I suppose, uh, Carl and I have had is with with like certain pay per views. Like, we're, we're only knowing like fifty percent of the talent because we like, as Carl said, we we follow WWE, we follow AEW, but it's it's hard to watch uh, the likes of uh, you know Ring of Honor, New Japan. You know, you'd, you'd never you'd be watching wrestling all day with all the options that are out there. So it, it is um, sometimes it's hard to sort of keep up with who this person is and and what the story is. You know. And I- and also, their pay-per-views are too long. <laughs> you know, it's like 15, 20 minutes. WWE learned that three hours is about it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you yeah. um how, how do you find the product now since Triple H has kind of took over? Because I think you know it. I don't want to use the word stale, but there were times when it was not as fun to watch. And I think the last couple of weeks and stuff, it seems to have stepped I up a little bit. I think it's. You know, I think it's doing a wonderful job. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so, um, I mean, I suppose the last thing uh, we have to ask you a question-wise is um, something we always like to do is um, to sort of ask how people can keep up to date with uh, with what you're up to and, and what you've got going on, like in terms of social medias and that sort of thing. I'm really, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do most social media. No, I can no. understand that, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um... <laughs> this has been the first interview I did, I've done in about five years, five or six years. And oh. it was just you guys writing me and I said, I, it was just like, well, why not? Let's do it. 
know, oh, we, we, we might, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being genuine when I say I absolutely love Beyond the Mat. It's one of my favorite movies ever, not even wrestling related. So just an absolute honor to, to speak to you and yeah, really take is. the yeah. mind of somebody who 11 year old me was just like, who made this film? It's, it's so good. So genuinely <laughs> appreciate it. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words about the film and having me on.